Good morning and welcome to Central Hope. Glad you're here this morning. I must apologize. My voice is uh, with the crud that's going around. It's, it's gone. So uh, I'm going to try to spare my voice as much as possible, even amidst preaching. But it is a great privilege of ours to come into the presence of our God, to consider who he is and what it is he has done, and give him the rightful praise due unto his name. My friends, would you stand as we come into his presence as a people of God and consider this call to worship from Isaiah 12, verses 4 through 6. Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Indeed, let us praise the Holy One of Israel together.
Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready, stands to save you, full of pity, love and power. I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms And in the arms of my dear Savior Oh, there are 10,000 charms Come ye thirsty, come and welcome God's free bounty Glorify true belief and true repentance, every grace that brings you nigh. Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till your bed. we have a chance to do what we just sang about. Those of us that are weak and heavy laden this morning, those of us that feel weak uh, because of the sin in our lives, because of the week that we may have had, we have a chance to confess our sins, to confess our dependence upon Christ right now. And we'll do this first publicly by reading the prayer of confession aloud, and then we'll do this individually by silently confessing the sins in our own lives afterward. So if you'll read this prayer of confession aloud with me. Holy God, we confess that we have not lived as you have taught us. We waste time on meaningless activities. We fail to recognize moments of grace throughout our day. We indulge in hateful thoughts against those we feel have offended us, and we are indifferent toward the suffering in our own neighborhoods. We forget that all people bear your image. In an effort to look better, we compare ourselves to others. We take advantage of weakness 
and are passive in the face of injustice. For personal gain and reputation, we lie blatantly and we lie by omission. We would rather blame others unjustly than accept fault. We long for what is not ours and begrudge the blessings of others. Forgive us for thinking of ourselves before others and before you. Free us from unreasonable expectations of ourselves and others, from the need to compete and from the perspective so that we may glorify you in all we think, say, and do. Amen. If you'll take a few moments there in your seats to confess the sins in your own life. To all those who have confessed your sins and looked to Christ, hear now this assurance of pardon. Hear the gracious words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to all that turn to him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. We'll continue now with the taking of our tithes and offerings as we take the next song.
This is Psalm 20. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. You may be seated. Pray with me. Father, we do give thanks to you for you're a great king above all kings and a great God above all gods. And it is for that very reason we throw all of our trust upon you. Uh, for where, where else shall we go? For in you uh, is salvation, Lord. There's no other place to go, no other, no other ruler, no other thing, only to you. And so, Lord, we ask that as we prepare to hear your word preached, uh, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Uh, again, laying ourselves down in trust of you, knowing that uh, only from your word may we see you and know you uh, and trust you. And then in hearing that word, look forward to receiving from your table, Lord, that we may uh, be nourished by you uh, in the great love that you have given us. Lord, we ask uh, for, the, for the many of us that are in great need in our community that uh, we would look to you for our needs and that we as a church would be eager to meet those needs as uh, an extension of your love, Lord. Lord, we ask for the leaders uh, in our local governments that, that they would be wise, that you would give them the knowledge and understanding that they need in order to govern uh, according to your word, that they would not govern uh, according to the ways of the world. Lord, we thank you for it is your goodness and your mercy that draws us to you. May we be a reflection of that as we glorify your name in this service and go out into our communities and glorify you there. We pray all of this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so now is the time in our service where those of you who are between the ages of three and eight can head on downstairs for Central Kids, and then we will rise and greet one another uh, with the continuance of the thanksgiving that we have given already.
All right, at this time, uh, if we could reconvene. And so if you have your Bibles with you or if you have a bulletin, you can turn to Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. And so hear the reading of God's word. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vaporous smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be, for, or not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend in, into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. This is the word of the Lord. After my freshman year of high school, I was invited to attend a leadership retreat in the mountains of North Carolina. And on this, on this retreat, um, one of the things that we had the opportunity to do was to rappel down a mountain. Now, being someone who's not afraid of the heights, I thought, what a cool opportunity. Rappel down a mountain in the mountains of North Carolina. I was a Florida boy. Everything's flat in Florida. What a great opportunity. So with great excitement, I headed up the mountain that we were going to rappel down. And then I got to the edge of the cliff. <laughs> we're going to do what? You're going to go down the mountain backwards down this mountain. I don't think so. Now, the guides who were there with us told us, no, trust us, it's very safe. You have a harness, you have a high-grade rope, and you'll have a spotter down below making sure that you don't fall down the mountain. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> it came my turn, and I put the harness on, and the rope was put into my harness, and down below was an attentive spotter. And I looked at the person who was helping me get ready to go down, I said, are you certain? This is gonna hold me? Ah, uh, yes. You have a good harness, a solid rope, an attentive spotter. Sometimes life can feel like you're about to rappel down a mountain backwards, and you're not so certain that everything's gonna hold up. We, we, we believe this because life's experiences tend to, to, to lead us to that thought that indeed, we're going down a mountain backwards, and we're gonna die if something doesn't catch us. I, I, I use hyperbolic language, but 
There's a lot of suffering in this world. There's a lot of disappointment in this world. There's a lot of things that we experience that simply point us to life falling down a mountain. Now, thanks be to God, we have hope. We have hope in Jesus Christ that all the sad things, the disappointing things in the world have sense in and through Jesus. But the question for us this morning is, are we certain that Jesus gives us the hope that Jesus gives us peace? Are we certain that Jesus can hold us like the harness, the rope, and the spotter? This is the very question that Peter is driving at in this sermon in which we just read. If you look at verse 36, he gives us the reason why he's explaining all that Jordan just read. You could see this. It's very simple. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, that is Jesus Christ, both Lord and Christ. Peter is sitting here like the person who's at the top of the mount with me saying, Jesus is certainly Lord and Christ. You're going down the back of a mountain backwards. It's scary, but you can know for certain that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. That's the essence of Peter's sermon. And that is the essence of this sermon today. To know for certain that indeed Jesus is both Lord and Christ. Do you know that today? Is that something that goes through your mind? I know for certain that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. Well, like the harness, the rope, and the spotter, Peter provides just three different apparatuses to point us to the truth that Jesus is certainly Lord and Christ. And the three apparatuses are the Spirit, the Scriptures, and the saints. The Spirit, the Scriptures, and the saints. Let us consider how the Spirit, the Scriptures, and the saints show us that Jesus is certainly Lord and Christ. You know, no one was debating something extraordinary was at hand in this story. Native Galileans, an area of northern Israel, were speaking foreign languages. They were speaking the language of the Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, and even the language of the Mesopotamians. They were speaking the language of Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya. They were even speaking Latin. Everyone who had come to Jerusalem from all over the world for the Feast of Pentecost were hearing Galileans speaking their language. It was extraordinary. And people wondered how this was possible. Now, some were rightly curious about it. And they thought, huh. Others doubted, saying, these people are drunk. And truly, that is poor thinking. I've been around drunk people, and they don't speak foreign languages. They get dumber not smarter. So into this curiosity and confusion comes the apostle Peter, and he takes the opportunity to proclaim to these people, those who were doubtful and those who were curious, to say, no, this is the work of the Spirit, God's Spirit. Now consider the marvelous act that's taking place people speaking different languages and people from those different parts of the world understanding it. When my mind hears this, it immediately goes back to Genesis 11, to the Tower of Babel, when people decided, let us build a mountain to God, a temple to God together. Let us show how strong and, and smart we are. And God said, you ain't smart, you ain't great, and what did he do? He split them up according to their languages. But here is God doing the exact opposite. God coming to them and them being able to speak the different languages and understand one another. The spirit of God is work, working here to reverse this curse and this is an incredible act. It's an incredible act that forces the people who are there to ask questions. And you know what? This is just one occasion from which the spirit works and it causes people to ask questions. The spirit's work should always lead us to questions. 
Consider the story of the Apostle Paul. He was the persecutor of the Christian church at the beginning of the church. And then in the midst of a moment was transformed from the persecutor of the church to the proponent of the church. How is this so? It's the spirit. Consider how the spirit works to this day. I had a, a respected professor in seminary, a Princetonian who rubbed shoulders with Albert Einstein, tell me one day that after preaching in Europe, there were two Germans who came up to him after his sermon and tell him through a translator they had understood every word that he spoke in English. I had another pastor friend tell me of a time when he was on a trip in Africa and his, door, his hand was crushed into the door of a van. The pain was so severe and the hand was so mangled that he considered and he was considering and, and getting ready to go home so that his hand might be fixed. But a group of African pastors came together to pray for healing and lo and behold, his hand was healed. The spirit of God came and healed him. Now you might be thinking, oh, these are some Pentecostal yeah, yeahs. These are, these are some you know, way off people who are just all up in the spirit. No, these are Presbyterians. <laughs> these guys probably have never gotten their hands above their hips in worship, okay? <laughs> the work of the Spirit causes us to ask questions because the work of the Spirit works in extraordinary ways. There are episodes all amongst us, both ordinary and extraordinary, that demands all our attention that forces us to consider what Peter is ultimately getting at, that Jesus is indeed both Lord and Christ. And the Spirit's work eventually leads us to this, but it leads us particularly not to the proof that Jesus is Lord and Christ, but to the questions that will lead us to that. So, we must consider the work of the Spirit, and this is exactly what the Spirit has done in Acts 2. It forces people to be curious about what is taking place in their midst. But where does it take us? This curiosity, as we see the Spirit, as he still works, where does it take us? Well, Peter tells us exactly where it takes us. The Spirit will always take us to the Scriptures. And this is exactly what Peter does. So if we're gonna, if we're gonna see Jesus as Lord and Christ, we gotta see how the Spirit works. But if we're gonna see how the Spirit works, we're gonna to have to go to the scriptures. You can see at the beginning of his sermon that he gives in these you know, 22 verses or so that Peter immediately explains the miraculous speaking as the work of the spirit, which is the fulfillment of Joel chapter two. It says this, and in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And on and on he goes. Here, Peter explains what is happening by using scripture. But if Peter's point is ultimately to show that Jesus is certainly both Lord and Christ, he uses this what is happening to explain how it's happening. So if we're gonna look at this text, especially that first bold section, and I've got those three bold sections in your text, and they're bold because those are the Old Testament passages the scriptures that Peter uses in the midst of his sermon, the first one explains how it's happening. The next two bold things explains how it's happening. So it's all around the work of the spirit. The first part is what is happening. The second two parts, the second two scriptures are how it's happening. Look with me at that second bold section. Peter has just explained how it's happening and he goes immediately to Jesus in verse 22. And he uses Jesus' story to explain how it's happening. And then he concludes by pointing them to Psalm 16. There, he says that, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I might not be shaken. My heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known me the paths of life you will make full of gladness with your presence. How is this happening? Christ has died and Christ is risen. And we see the resurrection of Jesus predicted by David in Psalm 16. Now these are Jews. Jews who are listening to Peter explain this. And he's pointing to Psalm 16 and he says, the fulfillment of this particular passage is at hand through Jesus, 
who's crucified and risen. How is this happening? The resurrection. But that doesn't quite explain it. That doesn't quite explain it, why the Spirit is with us, how the Spirit can be with us. And if you look at the next section, Psalm 110, that's the next quote that he has. What you see in this is the importance of the ascension of Jesus. So, so, uh, here, so, so why is it happening? Because the Spirit's poured out on you. Look at Joel 2. How is this happening? Because Jesus was crucified. Jesus was resurrected in accordance to the fulfillment of Psalm 16. How does this happen? Because Jesus ascended. Now look with me at verse 33. Verse 33 said, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, that is Jesus ascending, not to heaven in the sense of like going up into heaven, but ascending to a throne. Jesus has ascended to his throne where he is now exalted at the right hand of God. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection, and Jesus' ascension are the very reasons how this is happening. Jesus is at the right hand of God. Now we see this in verse 34. Do you see this? David did not ascend into the heavens. David was a king of Israel. Ascending, that's what a king does. But then he quotes Psalm 110, verse one. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And David, back in the day, was seeing Jesus and saying, this is the Lord, my Lord, saying to my Lord, sit at my right hand. He is seeing the ascension of Jesus. So how is the spirit taking place? It's through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus to the fulfillment of scriptures. You see, the spirit's work will always point us back to the scriptures. And the scriptures give us confidence that indeed Jesus is Lord and Christ in accordance with the scriptures. Perhaps you've never considered the biblical prophecies that took place hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus came. But this is the very argument that Peter makes, the very point that he's trying to make to show the people that Jesus is certainly Lord and Christ. He is the one who was crucified, raised, and ascended. This is how the Spirit has come upon you. My friends, we have great assurance knowing that Jesus is both Lord and Christ because the scriptures attested to it and the scriptures were fulfilled in and through Jesus Christ. You can know for certain that Jesus is both Lord and Christ because of the fulfillment of these scriptures. Peter lays that out before us. So consider the scriptures. They give you great certainty and hope that Jesus is in fact Lord and Christ. But there is one last apparatus that Peter gives to us. And it is a very small one, yet nevertheless profound apparatus. And that is the saints. In verse 32, in the midst of his describing who Jesus is and how he is resurrected, he puts this quote. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Now he's not referring to we, because we didn't see Jesus resurrected. He's referring to him and the others that saw Jesus resurrected. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, talked about 500 people seeing the resurrected Jesus with their own eyes. The saints proclaiming Christ resurrected. Now, if you were at all doubtful and uncertain that Jesus was both Lord and Christ resurrected, what would you do if someone proclaimed, I saw him with my own eyes? What would you do? Did you really see him? Wouldn't you question them? Maybe if it was just one person, you could question them and be like, yeah, right. But 500? I, I think perhaps more profoundly in this, where the saints give us certainty, is the life they began to live in this moment. In Acts 2, this is the first occasion when the, the disciples actually leaned in to the resurrection and acted courageously. Do you remember what the disciples did before this time? Before the spirit came upon them, do you remember what they were doing? They were cowering in fear. The door was closed. <laughs> but when the spirit came upon them and they, they experienced 
you know, what, what the ascended Jesus gives to them, they acted with courage. And they knew with certainty that Jesus was both Lord and Christ, that he was the resurrected one. And they started acting courageously. Most of those disciples ended up dying for the name of Jesus and dying horrible deaths. If they made it up, I would think, and it's logically possible, that they would eventually say, I just made it up. This was all a hoax to build something. But they didn't. They stayed true to it. Why? Because they were certain, because they saw Jesus with their own eyes. Friends, the saints help us know for certain that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. Their life and their testimony and their work give us great assurance. Do you know that? My guess is there's some of you that are on the fence about Jesus and you're not certain that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. Be thoughtful. Consider the saints. Consider the fulfillment of scripture. Consider how the spirit works in profound ways in this world. Don't settle. Ask questions. Dive deep. Don't make assumptions. Don't do it. To those of you who do believe, know for certain, Jesus is Christ and Lord. The spirit and the work of the spirit points us to the scriptures and the fulfillment of the scriptures through Jesus. And the saints show us with certainty that Jesus is in fact resurrected and Lord. Rest in that. Know that. Rest in the salvation he gives to you. Rest in the control that Jesus the Lord has, that he is able to conquer death, that, that death was not able to hold him. So live in hope and confidence, just like I did when I backed down the mountain with my harness on, rope in hands, and the spotter down below. I eventually went down. Were there doubts? Yeah. But I took the word of the person above. And I took the word of those who went before me and, and, and ended up down the mountain, rappelling down the mountain. And I went down the mountain because the harness, the rope, and the spotter held me. Friends, you can back down into the hard difficulties of life, not understanding what's below, not understanding all the disappointment and sadness, because Jesus is Lord and Christ. Oh, that you would know for certain of that truth. Let me pray. Our great God, we give thanks to you that you are indeed Lord and Christ. We give thanks to you for the salvation that you earned for us through your life, the salvation you purchased through your death, the salvation you showed to us through your resurrection, and the salvation we experience through your spirit. Oh, that we might know for certain that you are indeed Lord and Christ, and that this would give shape to all of our life, that we would live confidently into the midst of difficulties, that we would rejoice amongst suffering, that we might have hope even in midst of despair. Lord, you are Lord and Christ. We rejoice in that, and we praise you. Amen. Will you stand? Yeah.
may be seated. When our Lord Jesus Christ instituted the meal that we are shortly to partake in, he did it with this command, do this in remembrance of me. So in partaking of this meal, we remember that this is a meal that is a sign and seal of the new covenant that God established through Jesus Christ. It's a sign that portrays Christ's benefits to us. That through Christ's suffering on the cross, we have received pardon, reconciliation, and eternal life. But as a seal, this meal confirms to us that we, in fact, have a new relationship with God. But this meal is more than just remembering that it is a sign and seal. It is actually taking and eating the flesh of the Son of Man, who was bro- which was broken for you, and drinking his blood which was poured out for you. My friends, I stand here and attest to you today that in taking this meal, Christ himself is spiritually present in the elements of this meal. So here we enjoy true spiritual communion with the living God. Here, through the Lord's Supper, we receive his sustaining grace and his presence. So know that in taking this meal in faith, our souls are being fed and nourished. So though we come aware of our weakness and failure, bruised and battered by the world, discouraged and compromised by our sin, Jesus still extends to us an invitation to be one with him and partaking at the meal he has provided for us. Oh, my friends, here we find renewal and strength. Here we eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. He abides in us, and we in him. While this meal is a great refreshment to those who believe, our scriptures also attest that it is a curse to those who partake of it in unbelief. So to those of you who who, who don't trust Jesus, Don't believe and say, I'm not sure. I just simply ask, allow this to pass by. But I want to encourage you, if if you are finally curious, 
about Jesus, about the work of the Spirit and the fulfillment of the Scriptures and the, the testimony of the saints. There are prayers that we've put in your bulletin to help guide you in the midst of this unbelief. I want to encourage you to pray those prayers, to open yourself up to the one who was crucified, died, risen, and ascended. But allow this meal to pass by you. To the children who have yet to meet with the pastor to discuss their faith, I would also ask that this meal would pass by them, but that they would come forward during this time when we receive the supper to come forward to receive a prayer in the center aisle. It's my great privilege to do this for them. At Central Hope, every time we take the supper, we affirm our faith in the Lord by reciting in unison different statements of faith from the apostolic church or from scripture. And this morning, our profession of faith comes from the Apostles' Creed. To those of you who believe, would you join me in reciting this? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Would you pray with me? Gracious Father, we now come to this table not trusting in what we have done, but trusting in what you have done, your righteousness, which is imputed to us by faith. And so we ask boldly that you would take these common elements of bread and wine and consecrate them for this holy use, that we, your people, would be strengthened and nourished in your grace as we feast upon Christ by faith. We ask this, of course, in his name. Amen. On the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, saying, take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the supper, he also took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. As the servers come forward to pass out the meal, let me briefly explain how we do communion at Central Hope. You will come forward to receive the elements of the Lord's Supper. You'll be dismissed row by row to go toward the front of your section where someone will be holding a tray that contains a cup with both the bread and the wine. Please know that we provide juice on the outer ring of both trays and wine on the inner side. Once you've received the elements, you can eat and drink and return to your seat. But I wanna encourage you that while you wait to receive the elements, prepare your heart to receive the meal in faith. Consider what Christ himself has done for you what he suffered for you, the sins, your sins, what he suffered for you. After taking the elements, I want to encourage you to spend some time in thanksgiving as you've experienced and tasted and seen that indeed our Lord is good. So my